Good morning, Storyline. It's so good to be together. One of my favorite parts of my role here is to find videos like that, right? There's so many of those. So do you, I think we all know what that feels like to be kind of in the dark, like confused, like you don't get it at all. Um, my first experience with that, and I've had many, but my first experience with that that I really recall being a huge deal for me was with algebra. I had always loved math and science until I got to about junior high or high school. And when math decided that it needed numbers and letters, I was out. Like, that looks like a word, not a math equation. And so um, it was also a bummer to discover that this was really going to, going to impede my career as an astronaut. And so I had to kind of change directions there. But at some point, we've all felt like that. Like, you just don't know. You don't get it. You don't know the whole story. You come into a scene, and you're like, this doesn't make any sense to me. Um, other people are tracking. They know the whole story, but you don't. And it's really an awful feeling. Not long after I began dating my wife, I asked her to go to a UCLA football game at the Rose Bowl. And <clears throat> UCLA plays all their home games at the Rose Bowl. And so I was with a group of my friends and their dates. And I knew Lisa pretty well, not great. I, I guess I didn't know as much about her as I thought because I didn't know that she was totally confused by football. So when she said yes with such enthusiasm, I just assumed that she loved football, but um, we were all about to learn the hard way that she was saying no to football, yes to people. And so uh, it was a great game, at least that's what I was told afterward, uh, because I honestly can't even remember who UCLA was playing because of all of the questions that Lisa asked. Like, <laughs> these are some real questions she asked. Okay, she says, I don't get it. Why do they call it first down? No one's even been downed yet, All right? Or this one, is it really necessary that they tackle each other? Can they just kind of hold on to each other? And this is my favorite. How come after a touchdown, a kick is worth one point? This is her thinking she's exposed a hole in the game. But a field kick is worth two points. I'm like, oh my gosh, you see what I'm dealing with, right? It's a field goal, they're worth three. And so anyways, um, I, as I was practicing this talk, she actually stopped me and she said, oh, Mike, please, I know the difference between a field kick and a punt. <laughs> so I was totally lost, totally lost with football. By the end of the first quarter, I was like looking up at the sky, and this is what you see when you look up at the sky at a football game, right? And I was praying for something to put us out of our misery. I'm like, if this could just be the Hindenburg, you know, right? <laughs> but by halftime, Lisa at the Rose Bowl is just bench seating all the way around. By halftime, Lisa was sitting Indian style on her bench seat, facing away from the football game, just chatting it up with everybody in her area. She was having a great time. Now, of course, my friends were smiling politely and shooting me these looks like, why did you bring this woman? Like, she is crazy. So anyways, here's the best part. After the game, Lisa's like, she is just so excited, right? She's an extrovert. She gets energy from stuff like this. She's just like, this is the best. Football's great, she's thinking. She's like, I love that. My friend Keith looked at me and just kind of did that whisper yell, like, if you ever bring her again. So anyways, that's the last time Lisa and I have been to a football game. But sports can be like that. I think we all know that feeling. It's some, some sports we get, like you, you understand it, uh, we enjoy it, and others, 
you know, not so much. Like, we're totally confused. We're disinterested. Um, now, I, I want to be very sensitive here because I know that there are all different kinds of people here at Storyline who have many different views and perspectives and opinions about a variety of topics. And this topic that I'd like to bring up this morning, it's a contentious one. And so I'm just going to say it and get it out there. And I don't want, I don't want to start any arguments or anything. But I am, I am a football person. I am a football person. I'm not a soccer person. And just this morning, just before the gathering this morning, my friend Holland, who's nine, and my friend Theron, who's eight, were arguing about soccer and football. I mean, it's a real thing, right? Like, they, these, these people, they just don't see eye to eye. And so I have two nephews who play soccer, and that's been, I go to their games, and that, that's something, okay? <laughs> There's stuff happening. And, um, but now the stakes are even higher in my life because our soon-to-be daughter-in-law, Carly, is a soccer person, like through and through. She was all-state in high school at Lakeshore. She played college soccer at Ferris State. Watching her, watching my nephews play with so much passion, so much skill, it's, it's changed my view of soccer. It really is a game. And so um, now, here is the thing. Okay, here's the thing about football versus soccer. And I, and I don't think anyone will dispute this. Soccer is a very simple game. Now, I, I, I mean as far as the rules go. Okay, don't get offended, soccer people. Just hear me out, all right? Um, simple doesn't mean easy. That's not what I'm saying. It takes a tremendous effort and commitment, a lifetime to master, but it is a simple game. You can only kick the ball. You kick it in the net and you get one point. That's pretty much it. I mean, the clock never stops running. The players never stop playing. The fans never stop yelling. That's soccer, as far as I can tell. There it is. Football, on the other hand, and it takes trying to explain this to an intelligent adult who doesn't know football, but football is actually, it's a very complicated game. It is, it's, it's super complicated. It's, it's complex. The offense and the defense are two totally different sub sets of players. There are four different ways to score. Five now with the two-point conversion, right? Um, a game there is a game clock and a play clock. The play clock runs until the play starts, then the play clock stops. The game clock runs between some plays and stops at other plays. These are all things Lisa pointed out to me, by the way. There are so many different rules that even experienced fans are surprised by a call made by one of the seven officials required to do a game. So some players are allowed to catch the ball, others aren't. You can completely crush your opponent, but only if they're looking. And here, here's something that Lisa noticed. This is another Lisa statement from that Rose Bowl. Those guys, and she's pointing at the defense, they get to tackle, but the other team can't even use their hands to try and stop them. Like she was horrified by the, whole, the injustice of a holding penalty. Like that just does not seem fair. So football has complicated regulations and procedures about things like ball pressure, even what is and isn't a score right? Football is rules stacked on top of regulations, all wrapped up in procedures. It's a complicated game. It really is. Now, 
This month, we, we've been looking at Easter. We started with Palm Sunday a couple weeks ago. Last week was Easter. This morning and next week, we're going to continue to kind of look at Easter, what, what it means and why it matters. And you may be wondering, what in the world does football and soccer have to do with this? Well, Storyline exists to explore what it means and what it looks like to follow Jesus. And a big part of that is distinguishing following Jesus from religion. Now we begin that project together with this assumption that all of us not only need God, but we want God in our life whether we know it or not, all of us. And here's the important part. Not just those of us who are willing to try and figure out the rules and the regulations and all the complications that seem to come along with religion. Because let's be honest, religion is a very complicated game. But everyone needs and wants God in our life. And the good news of Easter is this. Following Jesus isn't complicated. It's much more like soccer than it is like football. But here's what's happened. Over the course of hundreds, actually thousands of years now, there have been all kinds of rules and regulations and procedures, even officials and stadiums that that have been added to the game of religion. Okay, now none of this is bad or wrong at all in any way. That's not my point at all. For many people, these things help them on their way. Okay, but for some of us, sometimes these things can get in the way. And the result is that that has made the way of Jesus, following Jesus, seem complicated and convoluted and much more like football than soccer. And that's tragic because it just isn't so. What if following Jesus was less like football and more like soccer? I think my first real initiation to what soccer was like was years ago when our family went with a group of storyliners to Haiti. And we took this long and winding road up to this village of Calabas to the House of Blessing Orphanage. And this is one of Storyline's international impact partners. And, and on the way there, we saw multiple games of soccer. We saw one in an open field, another one on the street. People, sometimes you'd see little kids playing on the sidewalk. There was another one in a dirt parking lot. Right in the middle of real life, a soccer game can break out. That's what I figured out in Haiti. And here's why. Because you can play soccer anywhere, anytime. It wasn't unusual to walk through the village of Calabas and have a little kid kick a ball to you. And that was like your invitation, do you want to play? It was just so cool because anyone, anywhere could jump in and play because soccer is simple. Everyone knows how to kick a ball. And that is the beauty of soccer. You can never do that 
And I'm not ripping on that football here at all. I'm a football person. You can't do that with football. Football, I mean, you need the right number of people, right? It's too complicated. You need helmets and pads and goalposts and actual football and on and on and on it goes. So storyline, our mission, we're trying to get back to a much simpler version of what it means and what it looks like to follow Jesus because we believe that more people will because all people want to join in and play. Now that doesn't mean, I'm not suggesting that we know <laughs> what we're doing. We don't. If you've been around for a while, you know that, okay? We, we don't think we've cornered the market on what it looks like to follow Jesus. Storyline is an experiment. This is an experiment, but it's one we're in together. We always talk about we are in discovery mode, and we are discovering what this looks like together. But when you look at the history of followers of Jesus, there is this long and wonderful tradition one historian made this observation. The spontaneous expansion of the followers of Jesus reduced, it to, reduced to its elements is a very simple thing. It asks for no elaborate organization, no great finances, no great numbers of paid staff. You see, as we look back over 2,000 years of the history of following Jesus in every different time and place and culture, Followers of Jesus have had to figure out, they've had to innovate what it means and what it looks like to simply follow Jesus. And when they do, it feels like a departure from tradition. So if you were to ask Catholics, say, after the Great Schism, or ask Catholics after Vatican II, or the first Lutherans after the Reformation, or the Presbyterians of Scotland, or the Methodists of England, or the Pilgrims of America, or anyone today in the underground church in China, all of those folks will tell you the same thing. They were questioned, at times ostracized, and in many cases, much, much worse. The point is, this reorientation from religion back to simply following Jesus has happened so often in the history of the church that innovation is actually a tradition innovation is actually a tradition there comes times in history when the church is called upon to reimagine what it might look like not the only way not the best way but what are some alternative visions for what it might look like to come together as a community to follow Jesus. Storyline is part of that tradition. So our hope is to simplify, to simplify following Jesus so that more of us might choose to play. Right where we are, just as we are, even if we're totally unfamiliar with all the rules, procedures, equipment, uniforms, fouls, out of bounds, all these kinds of things that go along with religion. So this is one of the reasons that actually Easter is so pivotal because Easter makes what it looks like to follow Jesus simple, not easy. 
but simple. But it also makes what it means to follow Jesus hard. Not complicated, but hard. Okay? And that's what I want to take a look at with the the time that we have left this morning. So let's look at both of these ideas, starting with what it means. Okay? So there are lots of great reasons to admire Jesus. His teachings are famous throughout the world. They're famous throughout history. They're widely looked upon and highly regarded by people from all faiths and no faith. His teachings on morality, relationships, his example of what love looks like for neighbors, strangers, and even enemies. They're not only life-changing, they are literally history-altering. Life on this planet would not look the way it does if not for people admiring deeply Jesus and his teachings. But Easter changes the game in a number of different ways, but this morning we're gonna stick with this one. It, it, It changes the game because it says that following Jesus isn't just about admiring him. It's about a miracle the miracle, or really a long list of miracles in which Easter is like pivotal, okay? Jesus, fully human and fully God, the creator and source of all life, dying and then coming back to life. Now, dealing with this head-on in its most stark terms, it's, it's tough. That's a, that bridge is a long way off for some of us, but it makes following Jesus hard because it means he's inviting us to much more than just admiration. Easter claims that Jesus is on a mission to save us, and his death built a bridge between us and God, and his resurrection is proof that he isn't waiting for us to cross over to his side, He not only built this bridge, he's crossed over it to our side. Now, how all that works and the theological details behind all of that is important. And we talk about it often, and we will again. But this morning, that's just, that's what Easter means. And so, Jesus can be admired and looked up to easily. But without Easter, like in stark terms, the definition of Easter, without that being real to us, we will be missing out on the most central piece of the invitation to follow Jesus. And it's just one word. Worship. Worship. Now, I know what you might be thinking. Like, okay, Mike, now you're the one making it like complicated and convoluted. That is a super churchy word. And... I really don't want to think about it. It just sounds no, like no fun at all, right? But I'm really not, and here's why. Because I think we probably think of worship in ways that the Bible doesn't mean it, okay? See, here's the thing. All human beings, we are perpetual worship machines. We are. We are all already worshiping. 
We are all always worshiping. In fact, by the way the Bible defines worship, we can't not worship. We can't not worship. Worship is to our souls what breathing is to our body. It is a constant and largely subconscious act of pure survival. To worship is to celebrate, appreciate, desire, and serve that which we believe to be the source and goal of life. Translation, what we, it's what we do with our life each and every day. It's what motivates us to get out of bed, to put one foot in front of the other. It is to seek after a goal that we're serving because we think if we get it, have it, contain it, hold it, it will serve us, okay? So that is really the issue. I would say it's the issue of the human dilemma. We all worship. The issue is not do you or don't you worship. The issue is who or what do you worship? That is what Easter presents us with. And it, it could be a person. You might worship a person. It could be a romantic relationship. It could, poss- it could be your children. I've seen people and I've struggled with worshiping my career, money, prestige. It could be a set of circumstances or some kind of arrangement or status that we believe will help us to gain power or experience pleasure. Maybe your flavor of worship is security or control. I am a a security and control enthusiast myself, right? Love it. But make no mistake, we are all always worshiping. We are all always worshiping. The fancy Latin phrase is none of us are sui generis, S-U-I, sui generis. In other words, we don't produce from within our own soul everything that we need to be satisfied with all of life, and we know it. So we place, in the words of the Old Testament, we place gods before us to serve, okay? So we all have something that we think, that we believe, that we trust is the source and the goal of life. And whatever or whoever that is, that is who who we are worshiping, that is in effect our God. So Easter is not another rule or regulation added to an already complicated religious game. It actually simplifies the conversation about what it means to follow Jesus simply from admiration to worship, to worship, beginning to, trying to, being transformed into one who places Jesus before us as our source and goal of life. Now that makes following Jesus hard. It does. Makes it simple but hard, not complicated, but much harder than merely admiring him. And and here is the beauty of Easter when we look at it, I think, from 40,000 feet. What makes it hard is the same thing that makes it simple. Worship. Worship. What it means to follow Jesus is to worship him. What it looks like to follow Jesus is to worship him. 
Now, it's not about adhering to a long list of rules and regulations, facing this direction, lighting that candle, going to this thing, not doing that thing, saying this prayer, doing this chant or whatever. Again, none of those things are necessarily bad, but you can just go through all of the motions on all of those things while you're completely worshiping something else, okay? Here's the thing. Everyone knows how to worship. We are all already doing it. Ask yourself, what are you preoccupied with? What do you think about? What do you worry about? What are you after? What do you daydream about? What can't you wait for? Those are the gods that we place before us. We are serving those gods. And again, those things aren't necessarily bad. C.S. Lewis is very clear about this, is that when we, the other gods that we place before us, he, he talks about how they're not bad, they're just out of order. They're out of order. So everyone knows how Everyone knows how to worship. Everyone knows how to kick the ball. We all know how to celebrate, appreciate, pursue, desire, and serve whatever God we're trusting in as the source and goal of life. So I have been, um, the last month or so, I've been re-watching Breaking Bad. And if you have not seen it, it is not family-friendly, uh, but it's, it is an unbelievable story arc. It's incredible. And it's the story of a terminally ill high school chemistry teacher who starts cooking crystal meth in order to leave money to his family because he's going to be, he's terminal, all right? He starts this process and he becomes wildly successful at it. But in the process, this whole idea of being the best crystal meth maker in the country, of being rich, of, of all the power that he gains, it slowly, it becomes his God. He begins to worship all of that. And as worship always does, it begins to change him. And in this scene, he claims once again to his wife, that he tries to justify everything he's doing. He says, everything I'm doing is to protect this family. But his wife has seen through his new religion and what it's turning him into. Whoa. <laughs> so here's the thing about worship. We become what we behold. We become what we behold. We are transformed into that which we worship. And Breaking Bad is a five-season epic of seeing that happen to somebody. You see, the real miracle of Easter, and I truly believe that when we think about this, when we think about it, this dynamic or this principle and other aspects of life, we all know this deep down, that we become what we behold. What did we become like that which we're serving. The miracle of Easter is not about the resurrection of Jesus as much as it is about how believing in that miracle tips the first domino in a chain of miracles that result in our worship shifting from the God we've created to the God who's created us and how that shift resurrects us and our life and our story 
And we could look at all the evidence supporting um, the resurrection of Easter. We've done that in the past, we'll do that again. And the truth is there's lots of reasons and really a surprising amount of historical and sociological and philosophical evidence that strongly point to the reality that Jesus did in fact rise from the dead. But this morning, instead of looking at all that evidence, which I think is a little bit, can be complicated, let's stay with our theme of simplicity and focus on the evidence in here, in our hearts, where I think we know, we simply just know that something is wrong. Something is missing, something is off, incomplete, that left to our own devices and the worship of our gods that we've created they often leave us falling. Because I know we're right. 
so, so good. Love it. Thank you. Thank you, guys. So my daughter, Jenna, is a crazy reader, and I mean, like, just crazy reader, reading all the time, stay up late, get up early, skip meals, like, miss your homework kind of reader. When she was growing up, we would have to, like, ban her from reading because she just wouldn't get anything done. She loves stories so much. That is really what it comes down to. She would get so engrossed in the stories, so caught up in the stories that we just couldn't pry her away. Now, I want you to imagine if I were to take out from her one of her books, like the pivotal chapter from one of her books, she could still appreciate the characters and the beauty of the setting. She could have a really good understanding even of the conflict and the challenges in that story. But without the pivotal chapter, there really can be no resolution of the story. The very reason for writing the book, for reading the book, for telling the story would be missing. And that would tragically complicate the entire story. Our lives, apart from the worship of God, are like a book without this pivotal chapter. Yes, many parts of our story will still work. We can appreciate the setting. We can enjoy different things that happen in the story. We can truly even love the characters in the story. But we just know something is off. Like the reason for our story is missing. Nothing can ever really be resolved without that pivotal chapter. And, and that often makes life very complicated complicated it that is what makes life a convoluted game knowing in my heart that something is missing is a strong evidence for me that god is real and that easter is true Uh, you can think of it this way when we are thirsty it tells us two things one there's such a thing as water two water is good for us Could the same thing be true for this gnawing notion, this thirst for what's missing from our life? And last week we said, could it be that a sense of God's absence from our life is a sign of his goodness for our life? The Bible says that we were created in the image of God, and this means a lot of things, but one is that it means that we have this desire and the ability to find our satisfaction in knowing and loving and being loved by God. That is worship, pure and simple. A lot of other things can be missing in our life, but when this pivotal chapter about worship has shifted to its proper place, our story is always still worth telling. Even in the worst moments, even the most difficult chapters, even when our setting is bleak, even when the characters are dysfunctioning, we never lose the plot because we have the storyline intact. And that means that we can continue to move forward with meaning and with purpose, regardless of all the other things happening in in our story. You see, here's the thing. Our hearts will never be satisfied, or I'm sorry, will only be satisfied when God is the source and goal of our life because God is the source and goal of life. 
Now, one early follower of Jesus put it like this. Our hearts were made by God, for God, and they will not rest until they worship God. Now, what if what haunts us about life, the reason that life can be so complicated and convoluted at times is because of this reality of our hearts. See, anything short of everything will never satisfy us. Our need, our desire, our longing is infinite because we're longing for the infinite. And what we're trying to do together at Storyline is say that participating in that, leaning into that, pursuing that, doesn't have to look like a complicated, convoluted religion. Maybe our own hearts are all the evidence that that we need to know that God is there and that God is good. And that Easter, this invitation to move from admiration to worship, is the pivotal chapter that makes sense out of the rest of our story. Last week, we saw how Easter gives us some insight into the heart of God and what God is like by who Jesus chose to appear to. The brokenhearted, the doubting, the failures. Remember, Jesus appeared to doubting Thomas. Now, before Easter, Thomas knew Jesus. He knew Jesus very well. He basically lived with Jesus for three years. Thomas admired Jesus. But it was Easter that made the pivotal difference in Thomas's life. When he saw Jesus alive again, he fell to his knees and he said, my Lord and my God, that is worship. Easter makes following Jesus much harder because it's more than admiration yet so much simpler because we all know how to worship. Easter means God has stopped at nothing. He will stop at nothing to continue to appear to us and to appear through us, to pursue us and love us for the rest of forever. This reality simplifies life mostly because it simplifies us. Now, as we've been seeing in the announcements the last few weeks, the last Sunday of this month is a fifth Sunday. And on fifth Sundays, we do something called impact. We go out into the community and we meet in the community to serve servants. And it's really, truly wonderful. And now after the pandemic and uh, things are getting back to normal, we're also relaunching another environment called Second Story. And Second Story is a a different environment from the gathering. It's an, it's an opportunity for Storyline to come together, to sing together, to take communion together, and to engage in worship together in that way. It's our opportunity together to simplify life by moving from admiration to worship, to rise up and become who we were meant to be.
Thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. I've got to follow that now. Oh my goodness. Whew. I'm going to admit something to you. I, I couldn't look out here and listen because I would probably lose it, lost it when they were singing. But. So here's the thing. Religion, I think, it's, it is like football. It's rules upon rules and regulations and procedures and equipment and officials and it, and it can be very complicated. From the outside looking in, it's very confusing. That doesn't mean it's wrong or bad. It just means that it's complicated. It, it's very complicated. But Easter has changed everything when it comes to religion. Easter is God coming to us. It's God coming for us. And this makes religion, in a way, obsolete. And it means, and what it means, and what it looks like to follow Jesus Simply about one thing, worship. One way to think about it is the way Lisa thought about football. Easter is God saying no to religion and yes to people. No to religion and yes to people. Now, I, I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe you've been watching this religion, faith, church, God game your entire life. Maybe it's disorienting to you. Maybe you're sick of it. Um, maybe even worse. Or maybe you've been like doing your best to try to play the game the way it's supposed to be played. Like to understand all of the procedures and all the policies and all of the rules and have the right equipment and all this kind of stuff. Or maybe you've just like given up altogether and you're just trying to walk by. But know this. This is the good, amazing, miraculous news. Easter is about worship. And that means right in the middle of your real life, a soccer game has broken out and God has kicked the ball to you. Will you play? It's not easy, but it really is that simple. 
Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time and this place, for this opportunity to be together. God, I pray that this week you would help us to see all of the things, the places, the people, the situations and circumstances that we are tempted to worship. And just ask a very honest question. How is that working for us? Is it, is it tying our story together in a way that makes it meaningful and purposeful and will get us through to the end? We're so thankful that you want to be the pivotal chapter in our story because you are the source and goal of life. And you've shown us that time and time again and in Easter maybe most clearly. Thank you for that. Thank you for coming to us and coming for us. God, as we leave here this morning, I pray that you would help us to grow and remain open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for coming, folks. We'll see you next week.